It's time for another dry plug. Thanks for joining. I'm Mike. This will be TDP episode number nine. We'll follow the NIOSH report number F2013-04. It's entitled, Two Career Lieutenants Killed and Two Career Firefighters Injured Following a Flashover at an Assembly Hall Fire in Texas. It was published May 20th of 2014. The event occurred February 15th of 2013. It's going to be kind of a a long one, so we're going to try to squeeze this into as short a time as possible. Bear it out, if you will. We'll discuss the fire department. At the time of this incident, the fire department was operating out of five fire stations with 110 uniformed members, serving a population of approximately 78,000 within an area of about 43 square mile. On a daily basis, the fire department would staff five engine companies, minimum staffing of three, one truck company, minimum staffing of three, four advanced life support ambulances who were cross-trained as firefighters, a battalion chief, and an EMS supervisor. This fire department also staffed a technical rescue team trained in confined space, trench, high-angle rescue, water rescue, building collapse, and wilderness search and rescue. In 2012, the fire department responded to approximately 107 structure fires. In 2012, the fire department responded to approximately 107 structure fires. And the breakdown was pretty typical, you know, heavily residential um, and only five structures in this type occupancy. So five assembly type structures in that calendar year. But 107 structures spread across three shifts is like 35 fires per year on a three shift schedule at least. I think a guy only works like 36 tours in that schedule. And of course these fires usually occur the same time of year and they're probably not even spread out to all shifts and stations evenly. But most guys in a five house department with these numbers are making, you know, what a fire a tour. The breakdown of this number is obviously heavily residential, like we all are, with fires in public assemblies occurring in the low single digits for this this year. This is a potential problem for a non-training company, and I'm certainly not saying that this particular company was untrained, but for the untrained or the not regularly training, the repetitions will be almost exclusively residential. That means that our muscle memory, our internal clock, they're both at the mercy of these two factors. Our recognition prime decision making could possibly get us hurt as, you know, maybe we'll not be work, operating quickly enough for the environment. And maybe, maybe we'll even be too aggressive sometimes. This fire department does not hold a recruit school for incoming firefighters, but rather a two-week fire department orientation. This orientation included a review of fire department SOP, rapid intervention team training, and an emergency vehicle operators course. Following the orientation, the candidate firefighter is detailed to the field. I was brought up in a system very similar to this one. I was hired on a smaller size department in southern Oklahoma, two stations with, you know, like eight per day. There were some real greats at that fire department, and I'll always consider them mentors and, and in fact, giants. But in 2000, when I was hired on, my rookie school was just a handful of transparencies, you remember those, from the Oklahoma State Fire School. And it was delivered by a lieutenant at the house from whatever shift was on for the two weeks that I attended the eight to five classes. It was kind of brutal. 
what I'm getting at is that often a department that doesn't have a formal rookie training with a staff dedicated to that topic is often kind of generationally stagnant. If the people at that fire department don't invest in the latest studies, you know, invest in quality training, that fire department will often be just rutted. Perhaps that will be an issue exposed in this event. It's really going to be up to you to decide. There's a note that says the department did not have a topic-specific agenda for training. At the time of this investigation, the fire department had received limited training on fire dynamics and fire behavior. Also, the fire department had a long-standing policy of critiquing every structure fire. The crews involved would get feedback from the battalion chief and administrative chiefs. Over the past year, the fire department had developed a new process to complete a white paper report accessible to the entire fire department through the department's computer system. So they're making an honest attempt at just getting better every day and through every event. That's, you know, that's a great idea. Victim one had been with the department for approximately 12 years, holding the rank of lieutenant. He completed all the certifications, and as is the case in so many Texas fire departments, he was, he was highly qualified, highly trained. Victim two had been with this department for approximately 32 years. He held a rank of lieutenant as well. Again, he completed everything he needed to and then some. The injured firefighter one had been with the, with the department for approximately five years, holding the current rank of firefighter. He was well-trained. The injured firefighter two had been with the department for approximately 11 months, holding the current rank of probationary firefighter. You know, this 11-month guy, he was the newest member at this job. Around here, the newest member is often the, what, most recently trained. This is really advantageous for a station because it in, introduces kind of the cutting edge, you know, if that company or that, or that fire department is, you know, big enough to accept and listen. In this case, with no rookie school, really, the culture remains unchanged. This kid is the newest member, but... He's kind of been indoctrinated into the ways that things have always been done. Without that cutting edge, I think sometimes fire departments slowed their progress. Designated for the shift is truck one. So they're in this reserve piece and there is no stick to be had. Med two with two firefighter medics, the EMS supervisor and battalion one. They all responded, total of 16 members on the ground. Upon his arrival to the scene, Battalion 1 assumed incident command and requested an admin page, a ladder truck, and, and an additional engine to assist with the incident. The requested apparatus came from the neighboring automatic aid department and arrived as the victims and injured firefighters were being removed from the structure. The battalion realized right off that he needed that, he needed that piece, he needed that aerial. And so he called early for it, you know, solid work. He was, he was recognizing what needed done. The IC also requested a second alarm, which consisted of engine four with a lieutenant, operator, and firefighter, and med five with two firefighter medics. He's getting what he needs. Solid work. Let's discuss the structure. The assembly hall was built in 1945 and contained approximately 7,400 square feet of interior space at the time of the incident. The structure was classified as a commercial occupancy when constructed, and local building codes did not require fire sprinklers at that time. 
The last known interior renovation was believed to have been in 1960, but available records showed that permits were issued in 2011 to replace mechanical equipment with the structure and to replace some siding. The kitchen entrance on the Bravo side was covered by an awning. The fire department involved in this incident last inspected the structure in 2005 without noting any problems. Pre-planning of the structure had not been conducted. Doesn't mean they didn't lay eyes on it. Obviously they did. Um, they just hadn't done the drawing and kind of planned it out maybe, at least not formally. The day-to-day -day stuff, who knows? They may have had a plan for it from Jump Street. The weather, uh, it was 45 degrees and winds between five and seven mile per hour. So by UL standards, not wind driven, but certainly I bet gusting to 10 mile per hour or more. It is Texas after all. The investigation on February 15, 2013, a motorist passing by the assembly hall at approximately 2319 noticed fire coming from the roof and immediately placed a cellular 911 call. Fire and police units were dispatched for a structure fire. Police units arrived on the scene at the same time as the fire department. Police units observed three to four foot flame with smoke coming from the Alpha Bravo corner roof and thick black smoke emitting from the attic vent on the Delta side. The first fire department apparatus to arrive on scene was engine one. Over the radio from engine one, victim one advised incoming units that the fire was showing through the roof and they were in an offensive fire mode. Victim 1 then passed command to the next arriving officer. Victim 1 directed his probationary firefighter to place a positive pressure ventilation fan at the alpha side front door and pull the inch and three-quarter hose line, which was 200 feet off the rear of engine 1. While these tasks were being performed, Victim 1 conducted a 360 walk around of the structure. Truck 1, EMS 1, and Battalion 1 arrived shortly after engine one. Police observed that no vehicles were in the parking lot and the building appeared to be secured and empty of people. Battalion one took over as the IC and advised dispatch and responding units that they were in an offensive mode for a single story commercial structure with fire showing from the Bravo Charlie corner roof. Following department procedures, the IC directed EMS one to become the ISO safety officer and position himself at the Charlie side after he finished his walk around of the structure. The incident safety officer also shut off the main electrical breaker, which was located on the Delta side. He noticed fire coming from the AB corner roof and smoke pushing from the eaves on the Charlie side. Now, <clears throat> aggressive interior attack on a structure with likely little life hazard is very likely to cause unfavorable outcomes. And you can read all about this in Preventing Firefighter Disorientation by... Um, William Mora. He was, a, I believe, a San Antonio fireman. It's a fire engineering publication, by the way. In his 2003 study, and substantiated by numerous similar, though less exacting, previous studies, Mora suggests that an aggressive interior tactic so used in this situation and situations like it resulted in line-of-duty deaths 100% of the time, meaning that for all the casework in his study, aggressive interior firefighting was a factor. Of course, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I am not suggesting that we should never perform interior, aggressive interior fire attack. That's completely antithetical to what, what I believe. But in situations such as this, where you're being presented with a commercial structure at a time of day and with conditions that suggest there is no life hazard, 
there isn't a need for that aggressive interior attack as the primary or the go-to tactic, way to beat. Measure the response and go after the thing in that kind of methodical manner. Upon exiting their apparatus, Truck 1 personnel heard and saw Engine 1 personnel breaking the glass on the Alpha side door. Truck 1 personnel began gathering their tools, and the acting lieutenant and firefighter started a 360-degree walk around, walking counterclockwise around the structure. After donning his turnout gear and SCBA, the Truck 1 operator walked around the structure to meet the rest of the Truck 1 crew. Engine 2 arrived on scene, took the hydrant, and fed Engine 1 with a 5-inch supply line. Lots of water. Additionally, Engine 5 arrived on scene and was designated as writ by the IC. Victim 2 and Firefighter 2 did a walk around of the structure while Firefighter 1 donned his protective gear. Victim 1, the positive pressure fan, had been turned on high and placed just outside the alpha side door, blowing into the vestibule. Engine 1 probationary firefighter stated to NIOSH investigators that smoke was initially a few feet off the ground with approximately 10 feet of visibility. Once inside the vestibule, the Engine 1 crew went left into the bingo hall, which was filled with what appeared to be tables and chairs. Smoke was moderate and just off the floor, but the probationary firefighter said he was able to see a, quote, yellow glow in the distance on the Bravo side wall. Roughly in the middle of this room, victim one told his probationary firefighter to open the hose line and hit the fire that was rolling over them. Penciling with a straight stream pattern initially knocked down the yellow glow. The IC advised victim one over the radio that whatever he was doing was having a good effect on the fire conditions observed from the outside. This is good communication from inside to outside, or from outside to inside, rather. Reporting what you see as a command officer is, is super helpful to somebody on the interior. What seems to be an issue or, or building toward an issue is the fact that that fan was turned in. Now, I came up under positive pressure ventilation, but typically what we did was we would uh, we would place our fan, turn it sideways or perpendicular to the door and turn it on so that it was running but not blowing into the structure. You know, as time has gone on, the positive pressure crowd is diminished and, and that tactic in and of itself is largely gone. But there are fire departments that still use it and and um, not just use it, but but kind of adhere to it. I think that it's worth a look and it's worth the training for someone to take charge of that tactic and and expose its deficiencies, its problems, right? Positive pressure ventilation into a structure that has had no extinguishment is, is a recipe for disaster. It's adding oxygen to the fire and there's no other way around it. So it's something we need to change, something that can be trained on, and it's something that if it is a part of your fire department culture, it's really a responsibility to change that. While the Engine 1 crew operated in the bingo room, two members from the Truck 1 began breaching exterior doors. Truck 1 first breached an office door on the Delta side, which contained no smoke or fire. They then closed the door and repeated this procedure for a single door on the Charlie side. Light smoke was visible, but no fire was observed. Truck 1 then bypassed the double door on the Bravo side, close to the BC corner, and breached the door on the Bravo side, close to where the fire was believed to have originated, doorway to the kitchen area. 
When the truck won, crew breached the door and pushed it in. Fire was observed coming through this door, and the entire room, which was the kitchen, was engulfed with heavy fire. At this point, all three members of the truck one crew were together, and they had gone on air while breaching the door due to the amount of fire and smoke in the immediate area. The truck one crew blocked the door open for ventilation, and fire began rolling out the door. So, again, according to Mora, one of the best tactics to be used in a situation like this is to, since you know where uh, the main body of the fire is and you've accessed it, to put water on it from that position. So this would be at that Bravo side doorway that they forced where all the fire was in the kitchen area to go ahead and put a couple of uh, hose lines uh, in that doorway and start putting fire out where you're right on top of it and not having to travel through a building to get there. Passing the truck one crew, personnel from engine two were completing their walk around at this time and were heading back to the alpha side where they observed that engine one operator had pulled a second inch and three quarter hose line off the rear of engine one. It was 200 feet of yellow hose. The IC tasked the engine two crew with backing up engine one. So they grabbed the yellow hose line and walked with it into the vestibule. They then turned left into the bingo hall where they had to crawl due to conditions. They followed the red hose line until they came upon victim one. A brief face-to-face -face discussion occurred about finding the seat of the fire. The engine two crews then backed out of the bingo hall and back into the vestibule where they then decided to proceed into the dance hall area. They entered the dance hall, advancing approximately 25 feet. The engine two crew observed fire over their heads so they immediately flowed water into the ceiling above them, knocking down acoustic tiles. After completing their walk around and opening doors on all four sides, the Truck 1 crew returned to Alpha. Truck 1 crew, the acting lieutenant, the operator, and the firefighter then entered through the Alpha side door, carrying their hand tools. Standing up, they began a left-handed search into the bingo hall. Upon entering this room, the smoke was dark and thick, but not a lot of heat. After a few minutes, they had to exit the structure because truck one operator had a seal issue with his face piece. While the truck one operator attended to his face piece issue on the exterior, the truck one acting lieutenant and his first and his firefighter re-entered the structure through the alpha side door and crawled in following the red hose line further into the bingo hall to locate the engine one crew. Truck one came upon victim one who was who requested them to feed him additional hose line. Engine 1 probationary firefighter stated that he and victim 1 then crawled deeper with the hose line, eventually making it over to a large amount of fire from floor to ceiling that was rolling over them at times on the Bravo side. The Engine 1 probationary firefighter stated they sat there flowing water on the fire for a few minutes and conditions then got really dark and hot. The truck one crew, two members, exited the structure to change bottles. This is a another key step in the disorientation of firefighters. These changing conditions, you go in more or less clear, more or less having an idea of what you're going after and in what direction you're traveling. And then through extinguishment or ventilation or, you know, in this case, poor ventilation, um, conditions change and you are now faced with uh, this disorientation that occurs because everything blacks out. Um, the only thing you've got to navigate by is your hand line, which, by the way, is is a very good compass in these in these events. The hand line is absolutely vital. 
but that's really your only point of orientation. Disorientation is a huge problem in commercial structures. While the engine one probationary firefighter was flowing water, victim one asked him to check his remote pressure gauge. Note, the lieutenant who worked the night before advised NIOSH investigators that the heads-up display on the same SEBA used by victim one wasn't working during a structure fire that extended through shift change. This lieutenant advised NIOSH investigators that he immediately advised victim one of the SEBA issue when he changed shifts the morning of the incident. Victim one's tank was at a quarter full and the engine one probationary firefighter's HUD was reading amber. Victim one then advised the probationary firefighter that they needed to leave. The engine one probationary firefighter dropped the nozzle where they had been spraying down the fire and began to follow their hose line, the red hose line, out first. Victim one followed behind him, but soon became separated from his probationary firefighter. The engine one probationary firefighter reported hearing victim one over the radio say he was lost and also hearing the IC tell victim one to follow the red hose line out. Note, prior to victim one's radio transmission and at the request of the IC, a second positive pressure ventilation fan was placed near the first PPV fan at the alpha side door by RIT. The engine one probationary firefighter then stopped, called to victim one, but heard no response or a pass alarm. The engine one probationary firefighter continued to crawl out because his vibro alert was sounding. The engine one probationary firefighter stated that he briefly got turned around on the hose line because there was a loop in it. This is also another factor in the disorientation sequence. Finding, you know, you're following your hose line and it loops or gets pulled under a piece of furniture or under a, a large object, something topples over on it. That becomes a huge issue and it leads to this disorientation. Remember, we move in in kind of a straight line. We're pulling this line with us and it's more or less a straight line. We don't envision what happens to it as we advance it. We just know we're at the end of a, of a straight line in our, in our mind's eye. So when things change, it's very difficult to maintain orientation and not get turned around. Good on this guy though. He seemed to have done it. He was able to use a streamlight to find the hose direction leading out. He eventually came upon all three members of the Truck One crew in the bingo room just before the vestibule who directed him to the exit. The engine one probationary firefighter advised the Truck One crew the victim one was following him out on the hose line and that they had gotten separated. So there is a huge need for training on egress with the nozzle, right? We can all learn to move backwards if we need to. Pulling with us slack and in sequence with the nozzleman who may or may not be opening up on the fire that's advancing on you. We have to get out of this thing, but leaving the nozzle in this condition, maybe not the best idea. If it was so hot that it was rolling over you and you are now advancing without the nozzle, you have nothing to defend yourself. It's worth training very, very hard on egress with the nozzle. The truck one firefighter advised the truck one officer he could hear a pass alarm sounding in the room that the engine one probationary firefighter had just exited. The truck one crew then followed the red hose line in following the sound of the pass device. They stated that it seemed like the sound of the pass alarm was moving away from them as they advanced. 
the truck one crew advanced as far as the loop in the hose line that the probationary firefighter had described when he was exiting the structure. The truck one firefighter was low on air again, so the truck one crew had to turn around and exit. Truck one crew met the engine two crew, who were also exiting due to low air in the vestibule. Truck one acting lieutenant asked the engine two crew if they had heard a pass alarm. They hadn't heard a pass alarm. When victim one got separated from his probationary firefighter, he immediately made a radio transmission indicating he was lost, running out of air, and needed someone to come get him on the red hose line. The IC advised victim one to follow the red hose line out, but victim one stated he could not. Victim one had also pressed his emergency activation button on his handheld radio, which was never reset by him. The dispatch supervisor advised NIOSH investigators that victim one's radio mic was keyed up and open for the duration of the fire. The fire department believed that the radio continued to activate due to thermal damage from the fire. This would interrupt communications on the fire ground. The IC had to do face-to-face -face communications to assign tasks at times. The IC also noticed that the fire was now intensifying and spreading across the roof line toward the Charlie side. After the evacuation call from the IC, the ISO advised IC to go to rescue mode and request a second alarm, which was done. The ISO stated he now observed fire through the roof from the center peak line at the back towards the Charlie side, which he relayed to the IC. The ISO also placed a flashlight in the open doorway on the Charlie side as a signal to help anyone inside the structure locate the door. The ISO then made his way to the Alpha side, where he was tasked by the IC to count firefighters as they exited the structure and handle EMS. Remember, the radio is screwy right now. They have to do everything in this kind of backwards manner. So we're doing a, a, a head count um, and we're not getting a par necessarily, um, an organized par over the radio. The RIT, which was engine five, was also ordered by the IC to make entry into the structure to look for victim one. Note, the truck one acting lieutenant did speak with victim two on where he thought they had heard victim one's pass device earlier, approximately 25 to 30 feet inside the bingo room. Victim two advised firefighter one and firefighter two to follow the red hose line in to search for victim one. They did not take a hose line with them. They had to crawl inside the bingo hall, which was dark with zero visibility and extremely hot. Firefighter 1 and Firefighter 2 recalled hearing victim 1 yelling for help and a pass alarm was sounding toward the rear of the room. Firefighter 1 was leading the writ, followed by victim 2 and then Firefighter 2. According to Firefighter 2, victim 2 stopped the writ and took a reading from his thermal imager before entering the bingo hall. Firefighter 1 came upon victim 1 after following the red hose line in about 40 or 50 feet. You know, victim 1, he's off the line. You know, there's prolonged zero visibility conditions. These are directly associated progressions for the disorientation sequence, as again, as described by Mora. Victim one was offline. He was alone, but he was alone in, in this pressure cooker. Mounting heat and smoke surrounding him like a, like a pack of hyenas. Nearly impossible to hear over the pulses in your ears, let alone with a radio that's fritzing out. How was the radio worn, by the way? Was it something that, was he wearing it properly? Was it in the front uh, pocket of his, of his coat with the, with the cord dangling? Who knows? It doesn't really matter because uh, this kind of failure of equipment, just, it just screws things for everybody. And it makes it incredibly hard for this, this guy that's um, lost in this, this fire.
there's a scene in the movies where a character is lost at sea. It's sort of pans out level by level until it's realized that the character is isolated alone and, and, you know, really just kind of insignificant. You know, it's a, it's a daunting scene. And this is how it feels to me when I leave the hand line in, in a large area to either probe for fire or to, or to search for people. This loneliness is impossible to mimic in training because the participant can, you know, typically just click off air in cases where they're blacked out masks or whatever, um, or where there's theater smoke used to mimic zero vis visibility conditions. We have to mimic stress. We have to train for a lunar under duress, meaning exhausted and stressed. This requires the highest level of training because it's utterly taxing on the processes of communication. A lot of times when we're not communicating well inside a fire, um, I'll kind of hard clap my gloved hands together. You know, think of the alligator clap from the Florida football teams and the leather surfaces really sound off clearly and with a maybe a chosen regularity that has purpose and it's kind of unmistakable. On a hard surface like this vinyl tiled floor, slapping down on the floor will produce the same sound. This is a, what an, an attention grabber, a location identifier sometimes, and if done right, it it's understood um, through training and repetition uh, that notice needs to be given. It, it'll prevent the shouting at the void, so to speak, that can happen when trying to communicate inside a hot, thick space. Victim one was yelling. Um, you know, was he walking, kind of probing like a blind man? Walking when disoriented is what? Most importantly, in this scenario, it's it's slow. While we are all understanding of the ever-present earth below us, walking in this environment is kind of vertigo-inducing. Keep low in the tripod position. This gives three points of contact between you and the earth. It lowers your center of gravity so that you can move more confidently and keeps your head up. Not Not necessarily for sight in this instance, because there wasn't much sight but to prevent the exhaustion in your head and neck that does what? It consumes oxygen more rapidly and it increases your pulse and decreases your ability to make sound decisions. While changing bottles, the engine two officer noticed heavy fire conditions in the dance hall area while looking down the vestibule from the outside. Note, the engine two crew heard the call for the evacuation while they were exiting the structure. Engine two re-entered with the yellow hose line into the vestibule to flow water into the dance hall area from the dance hall threshold. While advancing the hose line through the vestibule, the engine two officer noticed extremely dark conditions within the bingo hall with no fire, but dance hall was fully engulfed with fire. Maybe a two and a half in this instance, who knows? It, it depends on if, if the large body of fire was um, noticed early enough to get in there, but, but certainly a two and a half would probably have done a little better than the engine three quarter. Either way, they were, they were they were doing the best with what they had on the ground. Firefighter one and firefighter two and victim number two grabbed victim one and began dragging him toward the vestibule. Firefighter one had the red hose line under one arm. Firefighter one, firefighter two, and victim two were dragging victim one when the room flashed. The writ continued to drag victim one until firefighter one had no choice but to drop victim one in an attempt to shield himself from the fire. After positioning his nozzleman at the dance hall threshold, the engine two officer briefly came off the yellow hose line to look into the bingo hall again. He now observed what appeared to be firefighters 
off to the right, enveloped in fire, and dragging victim one. During the investigation, the Engine 2 firefighter reported to NIOSH that while advancing the hose line past the bingo hall doorway, they heard the sound of a pass alarm in the bingo hall and assumed his officer heard it too. The Engine 2 officer attempted to radio the IC with a response. The Engine 2 officer quickly went back to his nozzleman on the yellow hose line and told him to reposition and flow water into the bingo hall area to protect the firefighters inside the bingo room. The Engine 2 officer believed that a flashover may have occurred while the Engine 2 was flowing water for the second time into the dance hall area. The Truck 1 crew re-entered the structure and observed Engine 2 spraying water with the yellow hose line into the bingo hall. The Engine 2 officer noticed what appeared to be a firefighter on the ground just inside the bingo hall, so he grabbed him and pushed him toward the vestibule, and Truck 1 personnel quickly grabbed the firefighter and took him to the front door of the structure. No fire was visible in the bingo hall at this time. However, the dance hall, which was on the Charlie side, was engulfed with fire. The automatic aid ladder company observed what appeared to be the roof collapsing into the dance hall once their ladder was in position. Engine 2 was assisted by Truck 1 with removing two additional downed firefighters from the same area, a second firefighter and then victim number 2. The yellow hose line was being operated toward the dance hall area and also as a protection for those removing downed firefighters from the bingo hall. The last firefighter to be found and removed was victim one by truck one, engine two, and engine four personnel. He was discovered approximately 10 to 15 feet on the right, just inside the bingo hall. He was removed from the exterior and found to be pulseless with apnea. Victim two later died at a regional burn center from his injuries. Firefighter one and firefighter two were removed from the scene, suffering extensive burns that required extensive rehab at the regional burn center. So fire behavior and origin and cause. Local and state fire arson investigators investigated the origin and cause of the fire. These investigators determined the fire was accidentally was accidental and originated in the kitchen area of the assembly hall before free burning above the ceiling level. Just hours prior to the incident, the assembly hall had been decorated for a party that was scheduled to occur the following day. Plastic tables, chairs, and decorations were also set up in the organized and organized throughout the bingo hall. Cause of death and injuries. According to the autopsy report, the medical examiner listed victim one's cause of death due to conflagration injuries and victim two's cause of death due to thermal injuries and smoke inhalation. Victim one also had a carboxyhemoglobin level of 34%, and victim two had a carboxyhemoglobin level of 19%. Firefighter 1 and Firefighter 2 sustained third-degree burns over their bodies. Third-degree burns is pretty significant. They were right in the middle of something horrific. Um, man, those guys, that's a, that's a whole lot of brave. Recommendations. Recommendation number one is that fire departments should use risk management principles at all structure fires. Recommendation number two, fire departments should ensure that incident commanders and firefighters understand the influence strategy and tactics, e.g. fire ground ventilation may have on fire behavior and firefighter safety and consider whether traditional firefighting tactics are appropriate. Again, we're speaking toward fighting fire in these structures that are commercial occupancies and the likelihood of them being full of people is, is significantly low given the time of day and conditions. So we've got to adjust and we've got to think about the structure 
and what the potential uh, that a fire that has already breached the roof line upon arrival, um, what that fire is doing interior, maybe way to be to commit people inside. The, it goes on in this in this little uh, blurb to mention that um, structure fires have decreased 53% over the past 30 years. And that's, I, I'm going to have to give it to them. Um, maybe that's true. Um, but the fact of the matter is these guys were still seeing a, a decent amount of fire. It's just they weren't seeing a volume of fire in this type structure. This is an assembly occupancy. It's it's different than the majority of the fires that a career firefighter is gonna is gonna be presented with. We have to change tactics to fit the fire that's in front of us. Recommendation number three, fire departments should ensure that an established incident management system on a fire ground is appropriate and effective as it relates to the specific incident. This is just kind of an underlying theme. Uh, I almost think that this is just a button they push in these after actions um, because it just, it goes without saying that an organized fire ground um, is vital. Recommendation number four, fire departments should ensure that a complete situational size up is conducted on all structure fires. Again, when you go back to this type structure, um, Mora, you know, he, he says, slow down and do your 360 tick assisted, you know, try to find that main body and then attack from the closest Avenue. We want to, we want to insert ourselves into the fire. Um, but you, by means of the, the quickest route, right? We don't want to travel and traverse all of the all of the complications that occur in a commercial structure. It could be furniture, it could be cut up um, floor plans, it could be this, which is just a big sprawling open space filled with light furniture that's easily collapsible. And, and then of course, in this case, burnable being plastic tables and chairs. Recommendation number five, fire departments should ensure that crew integrity is properly maintained face-to-face -face or radio contact when operating in an immediately dangerous to life and health atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's tough to do when things change and you have your, you have one firefighters radio fritz and, and prevents um, any kind of communication over the radio by everyone else on the fire ground. It's difficult to stop midstream. Recommendation number six, fire departments should ensure that firefighters are properly trained in out of air or low air SCBA emergencies and SCBA repetitive skills training. Can't, you know, can't emphasize that enough. That's a standard for fire service respiratory protection training, NFBA 1404, by the way. Recommendation number seven, fire departments should use thermal imagers during firefighting operations. Ticks are invaluable um, when they're used properly. For those that don't follow Andrew Starnes, I highly recommend um, hooking up with his uh, his information online. It's it's really good stuff. Recommendation number eight: Fire departments should conduct pre-incident planning inspections of buildings within their jurisdictions to facilitate development of safe fireground strategies and tactics. I just don't think that these guys didn't know what kind of a structure this was. I I think that they just maybe overplayed their hand a little bit. Recommendation number nine, fire department 
and dispatch centers should ensure that emergency traffic over radio, such as Mayday, is effectively monitored, receiving highest priority during an incident. There were some issues with the Mayday, uh, according to um, the report. Um, without getting into it too much, it was um, dispatch really had no idea that it was going on, is what it sounds like. Um, that is, again, they had a fritzing radio that that was keeping that kind of communication from happening, but it suggests that maybe there needed to be a contingency in place. Recommendation number 10 is that fire departments should ensure that Mayday training programs are developed and implemented so that they adequately prepare firefighters to call a Mayday. I've uh, looked into this calling a Mayday training on, on uh, the NFA, the uh, National Fire Academy website and everything. It's a little outdated, but you know, it's worth looking at. Um, Again, we need to point ourselves in the direction of calling Maydays sooner rather than later. So we have to swallow a little bit of pride to do so. And that's not to say that this uh, that these gentlemen uh, that lost their lives were in any way too proud to call a Mayday. Uh, this has everything to do, I think, with the fact that the radio was fritzing and there just wasn't an opportunity. Recommendation number 11, fire departments should ensure that policies and procedures for proper inspection, use, and maintenance of self-containing self-contained breathing apparatus are enforced to ensure they properly function when needed. Yeah, I mean, you know, we check our gear every day. That doesn't mean that things can't go wrong bouncing down the road. This apparently was an issue. This one particular pack had an issue with it that was reported off. That is not, I don't know what, what the status was. He could have very easily taken it to a, the maintenance shop and had, had it worked on that day. And then it quit working again. There's, I don't know what the story is, but of course it is good practice to check our gear. Recommendation number 13, fire department should ensure that incident commanders are provided chief's aides to help manage information and communication. This is another huge factor, I think. You need to free up that command officer and allow her to have the ability to you know, just kind of take in the scene without having to do all of the scene maintenance stuff that, that occurs, you know, the whiteboard stuff and, and uh, plot plans and things like that. They need that driver. I think every chief should be uh, driven and have a, uh, someone to uh, give them aid on the scene. Recommendation number 15, state and local government should adopt and enforce requirements for sprinkler protection in all commercial buildings. Wishful thinking, I think, but it is it is obviously a great recommendation. It's just I, I don't know that that will ever take place um, as long as I'm alive. Maybe it will. Who knows? Uh, training topics that I've come up with are obviously communications. How do we communicate when things go bad, right? Again, uh, the clapping, sounding your tools on the floor, things like that. We have to be able to communicate with one another when our when our radios are fritzed out and not working. You know, work on like a cadence in and a cadence out as far as how we advance things. I'm not saying that we approach it like uh, like you do in an LPG simulator or whatever or, or something like that where, you know, you're kind of walking as if you're walking down the aisle, step together, step together. I'm saying we need to practice a cadence so that we know, hey, we're going to advance this far. Uh, we're going to check environment. We're going to kind of regroup, that kind of thing. And then when you're when you're moving back out again, you want to move back out with the, with the nozzle in this case. You need to have a cadence. Otherwise, one guy's going to get dragged or one guy's not going to be able to do his job right. And there's a possibility you yank the hose line out from under somebody that really needs it. What is the entry stack of personnel? Operating as a writ, um, how do you stack your personnel? 
that's a great topic of discussion for a, a you know a cold day inside or something like that how do you gonna how are you gonna stack your grit you know officer with the tick at the front followed by air nav and the rabbits one behind them or the way we kind of like to do it is um the rabbits kind of more or less in front of the officer with the tick um in kind of a you might call it a triangular pattern i guess uh with the officer at the back being the point of the triangle and then the air nav behind them again this requires that kind of cadence that entry cadence how many if you're down on in that tripod how many slides and gathers you know what i mean you, you slide your foot out and you gather yourself up to that foot and you slide and gather slide and gather how many of those does it take how many feet are you crossing each time you do that uh, that gives you an idea of how far you're traveling before you kind of stop and make sure everybody's there with you um, it of course we're operating in this writ environment kind of in an oriented search so you have your air nav guy with a rope and he's your point of orientation and then your rabbits are moving more or less freely in the in the structures so long as they are within earshot of your oriented person the tick is running so that you can see searcher if need be and also the environment that kind of thing and again close close communication those things can all be trained on and they can be trained on in in-house with nothing special but they kind of need to be trained on so that is it for this one i believe episode nine is in the books thanks for joining and as always Earn your days on the rigs because we're all lucky to have them. And remember the fallen because they died heroes in service. Thank you.